text. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these stories that we've heard all our lives that maybe, um, maybe we, we don't pause to think long and hard enough about sometimes because we know them too well, many of us. Lord, I pray uh, tonight as we open up Genesis that you would give us fresh eyes to see, uh, to see your word anew and that your Holy Spirit would use it to change us tonight and to give us a greater hunger um, for you and your word. I ask you that in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Um, last week, for those of you guys who, who maybe weren't here or wherever, last, last week we took a little, we kind of hit pause on our walk through the book of Genesis, which is where we're, what we're going through this year, the beginning of the Bible and, and the way the little seeds that get sown in here kind of sprout throughout the rest of Scripture. That's what we're exploring this year. And, and so last week we took a little break because there was so much content when it came to things like the image of God that we felt like we needed to stop and talk a little bit more about it. And we ended up talking about what it looks like to live that out in a gospel-centered life, living and letting your whole life be shaped by Jesus and living out that image that's being remade in you. Um, but we hit pause right after Genesis 3. And Genesis 3 is what we call the fall, the place where after God created a good and right world and put human beings in it who dwell in proper relationship and fellowship with Him, um, Genesis 3 is the moment where all that gets interrupted. Um, when sin first comes onto the scene, when sin first comes into human hearts and human lives. And, and so Today we're going to pick up in Genesis 4 and what we're going to see is the beginning of how wide and how deep sin goes into humanity. Um, right off the bat, one chapter later, one generation later, we'll see just how big this starts to spread and that will be the theme. Much of Genesis, almost every chapter is going to be dealing with either blessing, uh, the progression of blessing or the progression of sin. And you're going to see one of those things in almost every chapter, sometimes alongside of each other. Um, but you're going to see how does the story of blessing continue on or how does sin continue on into the human condition. And we're in a little uh, section right here where we're going to see a lot of that, the sin that's taking place. So open up to Genesis 4 if you've got your Bibles. I'm going to read through this in uh, three decent-sized chunks. And, uh, and then we'll pause after each one and just talk for a little bit about it. So, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of Yahweh. By the way, many of you probably know this, but just important to know, anytime you see in the Old Testament, Lord, in all capitals, what that is, is the name of God. And we don't know exactly how to pronounce it because it has not been spoken out loud by a Jewish person or a Hebrew person who would be able to read and pronounce this. Has it been spoken out loud by one of them for like 2,500, 3,000 years? And so nobody knows exactly how to say it, but this is what it looks like if you were to try to write it in English. Um, and so 
Well, we pronounce, I pronounce, most people pronounce Yahweh. And so anytime you see that, all caps, that's not just saying Lord, that is His name um, that is spoken there. So, um, I have conceived and gotten a man with the help of Yahweh. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to Yahweh an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And Yahweh had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And Yahweh said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not know, uh, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Um, so this is a really famous story. If you grew up going to church at all, you know it. And honestly, probably if you if you didn't grow up going to church, you at least know of the names Cain and Abel, and you know the gist of it. But it's also a story with some gaps in it. It's a story that leaves out some some details that at least to us feel like they would be somewhat key. Um, and, and part of that is the writing style that, that back then they did not focus on in their narrative writing um, nearly as much the, the amount of detail that we want to try and include in a story. All right, uh, but, but there are some, some key things that will get put in here that, that make you wonder what exactly is going on. It says, for example, in, a, in the course of time they offered sacrifices to the Lord, to Yahweh. What does that mean what are, in the course of time? When they're adults, after a year, after, what is it the, the author doesn't tell us? Later it'll talk about this mark that, that God puts on Cain, and people have speculated about that for years, often with some fairly ridiculous conclusions, because the text doesn't say. Um, and, and one of the biggest things that gets left out of here is one that personally I did not notice for most of my life and that's because my Sunday school teacher always filled in the gap without telling me that it wasn't there in the scripture. So I don't know about you if you grew up going to church but this is the way I heard the story was that these two brothers brought a sacrifice to God and Abel went and he grabbed the best, like the best lamb in his flock, the, the, best, um, the best produce he could bring, and he brought that, and he brought the best of that lamb to God as a sacrifice. And Cain went, and he just found like the crappy tomatoes and the crappy squash and, and whatever kind of stuff he had left over after he had saved the best stuff for himself, and he brought God kind of his leftovers. And so that's why God didn't accept it. But, but when you read the story, that's not in there. Now, it's sort of hinted at, because it does say that Abel brought the best of his stuff. And, and so that kind of implies maybe Cain doesn't bring the best of his stuff. But, but in truth, it doesn't say why God doesn't accept this sacrifice. Also, by the way, it doesn't say, at least in these first few verses, what I always assumed. Abel's this really great guy who's really nice and does good things all the time. And, and Cain is this really bad guy. And of course he's going to bring bad sacrifice. He's not a good dude. Doesn't say that. Um, later when you read the New Testament, we start to see that. But if you're reading this for the first time, if you're a Hebrew person reading this for the first time, all you've got is two brothers. And you've got this guy named Cain who's a farmer. And there's nothing wrong that he's done at this point in the text. And he brings this offering to God, and so does his brother, and his brother gets accepted. God has regard for it, is 
loves it, is welcoming of it, is pleased with Abel, and yet Cain's is not. And the writer does not tell us why. And so that, that brings a question, why not? It seems like that would have been a helpful thing to set out, like at the beginning of the Bible. Here's the kinds of offerings, here's the kind of sacrifices that Yahweh is pleased with. And here's the kind, don't bring this one like Cain, because that's not the, that's not the kind he's after. Seems like that would have been important information to tell, but the writer never tells us that. Why? And there's at least two options as to why he might not do that. Um, the first, and actually I think these two options are probably connected and closely related. The first is this, that that's not the point. And that's not where, he doesn't want you to get your eyes off of the main point. Uh, the main point is not what Cain brings. The main point is how Cain is about to respond. That's, that's where the meat of this story is. And he wants to drive you there. The second reason that I really hadn't thought much about until I heard about this recently is, is perhaps he leaves this gap in there. He leaves you not knowing because he wants to draw the reader into the story. Because he wants to put you in Cain's shoes. Because if you don't know why Yahweh doesn't accept Cain's offering, then you're feeling just like Cain does. Cain, from everything we can see in this story, doesn't understand why Yahweh doesn't accept his offering. It says in there, he gets angry. Now, if he, if he brought a crappy offering, then surely he wouldn't, he wouldn't get angry about this. Or, or if, he, if he thought he was bringing one, right? He doesn't know why God is angry. Now, there's something that he's brought that's not acceptable. And, and, and so this becomes kind of the key moment in here where it, he brings this. He doesn't um, understand why it's not accepted, and something about this strikes him as unfair. Do you know that feeling? Do you know that feeling where, where, where life just, it, it's, it feels like you're trying? If you were to, like if someone were to ask you, like, it feels like you're trying your best, it feels like you're doing well, but things just aren't quite working out. And, and maybe even worse, like your roommate or your friend or your brother feels like you're working just as hard as that guy or that girl, and things always seem to work out and fall into place for them, but not for you. And that feeling of, uh, of feeling like life's not fair, like you're getting a raw deal, um, if you do know that feeling, it means you're a human being. And uh, because that's something that, that like comes early in us. One of like the earliest things it is one of my kids, I have a nine-year-old, seven-year-old, and five-year-old, and it's like one of their absolute favorite phrases no fair. They love to say it all the time. It's not fair um, about anything that someone else might get that they don't get. All right. So um, one of my kids, like uh, a week ago, one of my kids is like puking her guts up all night. All right. She's sick. She's throwing up all night. And so the next day she's not going to school and the other two are. And the other two are like, that's not fair. Why does she get to stay home? Because she's puking her guts up. Right. Um, like, even like the implications, no, I wish I was at home throwing up all day, right? I don't want to go to school. I wish I, or, or my daughter, my other daughter broke her arm, got out of school. This is just this week. Yesterday, she got out of school for an extra hour and a half, for the last hour and a half. And my, my son was ticked about it, right? <laughs> That's not fair. How come she's the only one who gets to break her arm and go get out of school for an hour, right? Um, it's, it's deep in us to always be aware of where someone else is getting an advantage, where somebody else is getting a better deal than we are, where we feel like we're getting 
um, robbed or where we're getting, um, where we're getting like, as I said, kind of a raw deal in some ways. And, and so that leads us to what I think is the key verse in this story, which is verse 7. Let me, let me read 6 and 7 again to you. Yahweh said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must, go, uh, you must rule over it. Now, if you'll remember, if you'll step back to chapter 3, um, you're going to see uh, this same kind of story play out slightly different. Chapter 3, where Adam and Eve are faced with temptation and faced with the opportunity to sin. And they have to work through and deal with what they're going to do with that. And I would say at the core of Adam and Eve's temptation are these two things. Two things lie at the core of the temptation, the issue of authority and the issue of trust. And Morgan and Rachel talked about this um, a couple weeks ago when they (coughs) talked. Um, That this reaching for the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is this is this statement that says, I I think I ought to be able to determine what is good and evil. I think I ought to be able to to have the say, have the choice in what is right or wrong to determine that for myself. I ought to have, the word Morgan used was autonomy. Why is God able to tell me that? And that is that second issue right there, trust. What Satan does with Adam and Eve is he convinces them that God's holding out on them. No, 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 you're not going to die. Listen, God knows that there's something amazing about this that He doesn't want you to have. And what He works at is trying to get Adam and Eve to mistrust God and His character and to mistrust God and His intentions. And now Cain has this same struggle with these same kinds of questions. At the core of what's going on, as Cain looks at these sacrifices and sees that God hasn't accepted his, he has to ask this, que- he has to ask this question, um, why is it that God won't take mine? And, and can I really trust a God like that? Who, who says he gets to decide what's a good offering and what's not? Why does he get to determine who he's pleased with, who, who does well in this life like Abel and who does not like myself? And this question begins to bubble up in his mind. Can God be trusted? Should I not be able to have the say myself? Now, one difference to notice in this between Genesis 3 and Genesis 4 is in Genesis 3, temptation comes through an external object or an external person, namely the serpent. That's where temptation comes from. Not in Genesis 4. And not from there on out throughout the rest of history. That from here on out, Sin and the temptation that goes with it comes from within me. Now, temptation, I can be tempted by outside sources, but, but ultimately it's within me. There's, there's no third party here trying to trip Cain up. It is within Cain that sin is crouching at the door. It is within Cain that he has to work through this because after what Adam and Eve have done, now sin is not an external thing for me to deal with. Sin runs to the core of every human heart. And so now this sin nature within us is something that needs to be worked through. Let's read verses 8 through 16. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then Yahweh said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And Yahweh said, What have you done? 
The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to Yahweh, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then Yahweh said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And Yahweh put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of Yahweh and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Um, so notice how quickly sin works itself out from this personal dimension in Adam and Eve where they sin and then have to deal with the guilt and shame of this to the social dimension. Um, that it soon and quickly affects relationships in the second generation. Already sin has gone, perhaps you could say, to the farthest extent. Murder within family members. Between two brothers, already this level of violence and, and we see this, um, this truth here in Genesis 4 that will also play out in every human life from here on out. And that is that a strained or severed relationship with God will always lead to a strained or severed relationship with people around you. That those two things are tied together. And so when Cain's anger is fueled towards God for not accepting this, that quickly begins to turn towards Abel, and blame and rage begins to turn towards Abel as well. This is almost always true, that when something is not right in my relationship with God, it is going to have an effect on my relationship with people, and vice versa, actually, that these two things are that connected. Um, now, the blessing that was given to humanity in chapter 1, is be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So have children, fill the earth, and then subdue, cultivate, have dominion over, take over. And, and we see here actually uh, when, when Adam sinned, there's a curse that comes. It's going to be harder to do that now, Adam. It's going to be harder to bring fruit from the ground um, because of this. By the sweat of your brow, you'll labor for that to happen. Cain, the curse moves even further. And he says, Cain, you, as a farmer will no longer be able to get anything out of the ground. The, the ground will not respond to you anymore. And so he's forced to leave and to basically spend his life kind of as a hunter-gatherer, trying to find resources to make things work, hunt down resources in order to be able to live. And, and as, as I mentioned earlier, we don't know what this mark is that God gives to Cain, but it's a mark so that people will know it's him and not to harm him. We also don't know exactly what this means, that Cain has to go away from the presence of the Lord. He has to go away from the presence of Yahweh. But what we see is Adam and Eve being moved out of paradise, um, but it's almost as like they get to stay close to it, stay close to Eden, stay close to where God is, and still interact. And then Cain moves even further away from that in his punishment. Go to verse 17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. And to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushahel, and Methushahel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other, Zillah. 
Adab bore Jebal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nehemiah. Now Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice. Some people think, by the way, this is like one of the earliest poems ever written, what we're about to read, this poem of Lamech. Adah and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. <coughs> to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of Yahweh. A couple things to note here um, in this little passage that we read. First of all, um, in spite of the fact that the curse has continued through sin, um, the blessing does not end. Uh, the blessing of fruitfulness, this ability to be fruitful and multiply. Cain goes and marries, and he has kids. And, and again, actually, that's, that's another big question, right? Who in the world is Cain marrying, right? Um, who's, like, what, what wife is Cain finding? There, there are really only two options, and that is that there are other people that God created alongside of Adam and Eve or alongside of um, Cain and Abel and these, and so he ends up meeting those, but, but that the text focuses on Adam and Eve and their family line, or um, that Cain is marrying his sister, um, which is weird to us, but not so weird back then. And, and it is reasonable if God expected and told and blessed Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, it would be really surprising if that means they only had two kids. Like actually, the odds are that they had many kids because that's part of what they were re put there to do. Um, and so one of those two is there. Again, the author doesn't tell us, and, and he's not super concerned to make sure we know that. But we know that Cain is able to marry and then have kids. And his kids have kids, and the multiplying still takes place. Not only that, but even though Cain is not able to work the ground, we still see this process of cultivation taking place, of civilization taking place as Cain starts a city. And then out of, out of his ancestors come those who create musical instruments, and those who create um, like tools and instruments through that, those who run livestock and tents and those kinds of things. And so you see cultivation still taking place through this. Um, theologians call this common grace. Um, so special grace is the grace that um, God's people get, the grace that is offered through Jesus Christ that saves us from our sin so that we might know and be in fellowship with the Father. That's special grace that's given to us. Common grace is the grace that is given to every human being that God has distributed through His creation, through His people. Things like medicine, things like food and farming, things like music. These, these gifts that He gives to all people, and that's given even in spite of the sin in people like Cain. But right in the middle of this little genealogy, we also see the advance of sin to even another degree. So you have Adam and Eve who sin and do what is wrong so they rebel, but then end up repenting. Then from Adam and Eve's rebellion, you have Cain who sins and does not repent. And then from Cain's unrepentance, you have Lamech's sin, and he's not just unrepentant, he's defiant in his sin. 
He's proud of his sin. And he boasts about the fact that this young man um, wounded me or, or uh, insulted me and I took his life. And he writes songs about it. And he's proud of this. And already we're able to see just how deep sin gets its fingers into human beings, gets its claws into human beings, and how, how wide the circle begins to get um, as, as it goes down through generations. But we also see in this God's goodness and provision in giving a new line at the very end through Seth, Adam and Eve's uh, maybe third son, maybe 20th son, we don't know, um, other son, Seth. And, and that a new line begins to form to this. Um, actually, if you actually pay attention, this is something that I think it's missed. Um, it is easy to miss the fact that God's goodness and generosity actually runs all through this chapter. It's really easy. We talked about this the very first night. Don't get your eyes so locked down on the people that are in these, uh, in these stories that you fail to look up and see the real hero of all the stories and to see God. And there's an amazing amount of grace and generosity and kindness that God um, makes in these things. Um, notice God's response to Cain's poor sacrifice at the very beginning. God does not abandon him. God doesn't say, enough with you, I don't need you. I'm, I'm just going to stick with Abel over here. What does God do? God comes to Cain. God goes and he speaks with Cain. Hey, listen, Cain, yes, you messed up, but this, this doesn't have to be your story. This doesn't have to be how this goes. If you do right, things will go well. If you do right, we can work through this stuff. Um, it's your choice, though, whether you will follow the path of sin or not. And so God goes and he works with Cain and he pleads with him, even after Cain goes so far as to murder Abel's brother, or sorry, his brother Abel. Even after he goes so far to do that, still God has mercy on him in not taking his life and protecting Cain so that others don't take his life as well. One of, the, one of the big questions that sometimes gets asked about Christianity or, or just God in general is if God exists, then why is there so much evil in the world? Why would he allow so much evil in the world? Genesis 4 is a great answer. One of the reasons evil exists is because God is um, virtually always intent on redeeming evil people rather than eradicating them. But he is always quick to want to come after and redeem and make right before he simply ends someone in this. Um, Ezekiel 18.23, actually, um, God says this. He says, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God? Would I not rather that he should turn from his way and live? So Ezekiel is all about God saying, I'm, I'm going to punish Israel for their sins. But Midway through that, actually twice, in 18 and in 33, God pauses to say, just so you know, I take no delight. Why, why would I want to see you die? Why would I want to, to cast you off like this? Would I not always rather you turn back to me and live? I don't know where we got this idea of God, specifically God of the Old Testament, that he's a God who's quick to wrath, that a God who's quick to kind of lose his cool and jump off and attack people. The God that's spoken of all throughout Scripture, not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament, is a God who is slow to anger and quick to love, who is always working to redeem rather than eradicate. Now, there are times when wrath comes. We're about to get there 
in, in the next few chapters with the flood. So it's there, and we have to work through that and deal with that too. But, but to, to think that that's where God always goes real quick. You don't understand the Bible. You're not understanding Scripture. You're not understanding God. And that is so pivotal for us because of what we said earlier. Almost every sin at its root, I would say all sin at its root, is a failure to trust God and His character. He's holding out on me. He told me to live this way, but, but that can't really be what's best for me. That can't really make me happy. Surely this is better. And the more I'm able to see God in His character, the more I'm able to combat, to fight against temptation in my life. And this becomes really big because something else we see in Genesis is really true for all of us as well. And that is, the moment that you are quick to start seeing things for you as unfair, you are incredibly vulnerable to sin in your life. The moment you think that you've gotten a raw deal, you are this close to being able to justify any wrong steps you take from there. That's what happens with Cain. That's what happens with us so often. It's okay for me to treat her poorly because, I mean, she's, one of those, she doesn't, she's not super nice and she seems like everything always works out for her and she did nothing to deserve it. But she's always got friends and she's always got grades and she's always got a boyfriend and she's always got... And so I don't really have to be kind to her. See how quick it is to justify un ungodly behavior out of those things. It's okay for me to not try in this class because my professor's uh, a punk. He's not fair in his grading. He's not working with me to try to teach me. Why should I try in this? And you see how quick it is. We don't even have to think and debate through that. The, the moment I begin to see things as unfair and I begin to um, have a mistrust in what God may be doing in the bigger picture, it becomes that much easier for me to jump into sin. And so it is pivotal for me to see his character and respond correctly. Responding correctly is what Scott is about to talk about in our next few minutes. But we'll take a couple minute break and then jump into that. All right, so I am going to try and be very practical tonight. Um, so if you have your notes, I want you to write on the board. I feel, feel kind of bad about this. Oh, sorry, write on your notes. I just erased Yahweh. Okay, don't tell any Jewish people. Um, what side? Okay, we'll, we'll go here. So... Make a quadrant. Okay, and leave some space up top and to the left. Okay, make a quadrant. Up here, put feeling with a question mark. And over here, put responding. Okay. Feeling, question mark, responding, question mark. Above this box, put not good. And over here, put good. Over this one, put not well, which is similar to not good. And here, put well. Okay? So we got, how are you feeling? Not good or good? How are you responding? Not well. Pretty well. Okay, that's 
That's the quadrant. So let me let me walk through this. It's pretty self-explanatory, but you know, at any given time, you are probably in one of these categories. If you if you know, you could complicate it if you want to, but let's try to stay simple. Okay? You could you could put yourself in one of these categories, right? So and and let's let's talk about not good. Okay, let's say if I come up to you, we, we sit down, have coffee, whatever. I say, so how you how you feeling? How you doing? Um, and you kind of think about it, and you go, uh, not good. Like I'm not not doing well. And I would ask you, okay, what's what's going on? Like, what's happening? And it could be a wide range of things, right? So it could be you're stressed. You have a lot of tests and papers. It's mid I think midterms coming up. Anybody? Okay. So there's that, right? But you know, you could say, well, okay. If that's really all I have, then maybe I'm good. Um, but you could have bigger things, right? You could have things like stuff going on at home. Um, lights flashing in your eye. What? Not well. Not well. Not well, apparently. I, sir, it's right, it's right over there. Somebody, if it keeps... Okay, there we go. Now you're in the dark. Um, so... So yeah, so you could say, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing too hot. Like, um, things aren't going well for me right now. And, and that could be, like I said, everything from little things to big things. Parents going through divorce, right? You can find yourself like Cain uh, in this situation where he, he doesn't understand. He's not trusting God. He, he's wondering why this is happening Right? There's some really big things that could go on. Okay? And then you could, you could find yourself in a good spot. You could be doing well on your tests and you got your paperback and your job. You got you to you know, interview for an internship. I know that's a big thing that's happening right now for, for a lot of you. Right? So you could say, wow, things are going pretty good. Sometimes, well, actually, in life, you're going to find yourself in one of these categories all the time. Sometimes this is your choosing uh, or your doing, you know. You, you do things like Cain, maybe. Maybe not kill anybody. Please don't. Um, but you, you, you willfully do things that you know you shouldn't do, and there's consequences to it, and it sucks. But you're not good. Um, or sometimes it's somebody else. Somebody else does something, and so you find yourself not doing not doing good because of somebody else's choices. And other times it's just life. Like there's just crap that happens in life. Like I remember, I remember driving home, I mean little things, okay. This wasn't huge. Um, wasn't life shattering. But I remember in, early on in my, um, when my kids were little and I had, uh, I started this, at this new church and there was such a huge learning curve. I had two little kids trying to figure out this new ministry um, in every area of my life, everyone was expecting more from me. And I just remember driving home, ready to just pull over and like get out and walk into the woods and never come back out. I just remember thinking, if I just disappear and just go off on my own, like this would be all go away, right? No. And so I knew, I knew I had to, I knew I had to face my, my crap. I had to deal with what was at home. I had to rescue my wife from my kids. I had to go back to work and figure out how to, how to make this work. I just remember 
going, God, seriously, I, I don't know where this is going to come from. Okay? So at any given point, you find yourself in, in, in this spot. But this, this particular plane, this is where you get to make a choice. This is where you get to decide how this is going to work. So you can, if you're not doing well, you can not respond well. And guess what? Make it worse. Make it worse on you and make it worse on those around you. You can actually be doing great and make choices based on, oh, I'm doing great, I, I can handle this, right? Or, or sometimes um, people aren't used to being good. Some, sometimes people are used to not being good, and they don't know how to be good. And so you, you do things to kind of get back into this category, because this is what you're used to. And, and, and honestly, that's true for a lot of people. I've met a lot of people that grew up in homes where it wasn't good most of the time. And that's comfortable for a lot of people. And so when they get here, they, they make choices and they somehow end up back here. And, and honestly, those are the kinds of things you need to talk to somebody about. You need to get out of that cycle because that's, that's really, really detriment to you and to those around you. Um, but then you can also, you can be doing not good. Again, not your choice or maybe you just find yourself and then you make some choices and that you, that you respond well to what life's throwing at you. And then likewise, you can respond well to things going great in your life with humility and a perspective that says, yeah, God is just good. I'm thankful and you know, all this I'm seeing is just God's grace in my life. And, and, but I don't, I, don't, I don't assume that all of this is because I'm awesome. It's just God is good and I'm, I'm thankful for what, what I'm going through right now. Right? That's a, that's a healthy way to respond to feeling good about life. So I want to give you a minute um, to, to put yourself in one of these boxes. So, so do that. Figure out. I'll give you one minute. Which box are you in right now? Okay, do you know where you're at? Can you, can you identify that? Um, you know, what's interesting about this text in Genesis 4 opened my eyes to things. I, I mean, I'd known this story for a long time, but when you actually kind of study what's going on and you, instead of focusing on the details that aren't there, which is what I've done most of my life, you start focusing on the details that are there and, and this conversation that seems to be the central point of the story. Not... Not what was Jesus or oh, Jesus? What was Cain's sacrifice, and why didn't God like it? And what's God's problem? Why is he playing favorites? And I mean, that's where I went. I went to this place where, um, where I, I instantly put God on the judgment seat. 
Of course Cain would respond that way. God, did you not make it clear like what, what you wanted from him? Did, were you playing favorites? Of course he would respond jealously. And then I, I realized, like, wow, how quick was I to put God on the judgment seat um, without really even knowing it? I just had this question, like, why? Why didn't he accept it? Um, and that's not really the point of the text, really, at all. The, the point of the text is this conversation that takes place and, and drew, even, uh, drew, drew huh, our attention to verse 7. And he said, this is like, this is the, the crux of this story, is right here. Um, and, and what I find interesting about that verse is it's a warning from God. Do you like warnings? Do you, do you, do you enjoy being warned of something? Most of us don't, honestly. We don't enjoy, like, a good warning. Um, but warnings come throughout the whole Bible. And warnings equal God's grace. Warnings are God's grace to us. They really are. And this is, this is what I started to notice. Like, if you look at um, chapter 3 and 4, and, and just study God, okay, just what is He doing? What are His actions? This, this is what he, he tells them what to do, and then they do the opposite, and then how does he respond to them? And it's pretty fascinating what you'll see. We'll get back to that in a second. But at the center of this is just this warning that God gives um, Cain about his response, about responding to what life has thrown at him, or whatever he's about to do. It's just like, okay, there's this response that's going to happen, and, and God is warning him. And so... All of us need this kind of warning, I think, um, because I think all of us really want to be here. Like, we want to be in this category. We want to live here. We want to live in this plane where no matter what life throws at us, we're going to respond well. So how do we do that? How do you, how do you respond well when things aren't going well or when things are going well? And so I'm going to write a formula on the board. I'm not really a formula guy. This is the extent of my math expertise right here, okay? Um, put the, under this, put right blank. Oh, I'm going to run out of room. Plus right blank equals, anybody guess? Right blank. 1 plus 1 equals 2. Um, that's the extent. I went to Ozark. So, right blank plus right blank equals right blank. Now, again, uh, I'm not a formula guy. I, I don't like formulas for life. Um, because life can be complicated and, and it's, there's no simple, quick answer to all of life's problems. But this is a pretty damn good one, if I would say so myself. Okay? I'm serious. This is because if you, if you understand this, this will help, I believe, this will help keep you at least understanding what this quadrant is and, 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 and create space and time and things in your life where you will operate here. Okay? The first one is, anybody want to guess? Thinking. What do I mean by that? Right thinking. Well, specifically, I mean this. 
Right thinking about God. Um, a right understanding of who God is makes all the difference. The other thing that makes a difference is a right understanding about who you are. That makes all the difference. We've been studying Genesis 1-3 through and the nature of humanity and, and the, the pattern of sin and all these things that the, the, the dignity that we have in as being made in the image of God, right? That's, that's identity things. That, that's helping you understand who you are and how we're made and what God thinks of us. But right, right thinking about God and right thinking about self are huge. So how do we do that? we got to know His Word. Like, so, you know, we, we love this thing. We want to teach this thing in such a way that would help you learn how to study it on your own. We, we think that's a gift that we can give you for the rest of your life, is studying this thing on your own, seeking to understand and know who God is um, on your own in community, obviously, because that's how it was given. Um, but we want you to be able to, to open this thing up and, and to be able to learn who God is. And, and that's huge. Um, these are, you, you see this throughout all of Scripture. When, when, when the authors of the Bible are pointing to God, He is gracious, He is steadfast in love, He is merciful, um, He is faithful, right? He is good. And so the Bible is, is telling the story of who God is. This is God revealing Himself to us, and He wants you to know who He is. You need to have a right understanding of God. It's, it's why when, when, when I'm looking at Genesis 4 and recognizing that, man, all this time I've been focusing on what isn't there and I'm missing how it's, this is presenting God. It's crazy. So you need a right thinking about God. You need right thinking about self. You need to understand that you have tendencies, that you have... Um, there's temptation that can come in your. You need to understand that you can overpower, overcome these things in Christ. Like you need to understand who you are. So a couple questions that you could ask that you could write down. So who, so who is God? This could be a helpful exercise to go through to kind of to be here. Who is God? What has He done? And who am I? And so how should I live? So who is God? What has He done? And who am I? And so how should I live? Right? That, that's a helpful... If you're, you're at a place in your life where you're not good, it's, it's a really helpful thing to be, be able to sit down and go, okay, God, I, I need to take my focus off of me and how I'm feeling, and I need to put it right in its right place on you. And say, okay, help me to see who you are. Help me to see what you've done. Help me to see who I am in, in light of it and in, into now how sh- I should live in response to it. That, that's right thinking. Okay? So I'm going to give you this one. This one's no, this one's simple. Right living. That's this, I think. You know, simply put, it's, it's responding well to life. Like, that's really, that's what you can do. You, you don't know what's coming. Like, none of you know what's coming. And so, all you can do is say, okay, God, I'm going to, whatever comes at me, I have choices to make. There's things that you want me to go do. But a lot of life is responding to what comes at you. And 
and how you do that. So that's right living. Okay, that's, that's simple. Now this one is one that's fairly new for me. I, I used to think that it was right thinking equals right living. That if only you just knew the right things, you would live the right way. That's, that's what I, I used to think. But over the last couple of years, God has really changed my mind on that and helped me see that there is something here that needs to be there. Um, and so it's this. I'm going to give it to you. Anybody want to guess? What? Doing? Nope. Anybody else besides? Habits. Two B's or one? Three B's. Kind of like my name. Um, right thinking. Is that right? That does not look right to me. I, you know. Hobbits? No. Right thinking plus right habits equals right living. Here's what I mean by this. So, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you another, another story from my life. And this was six weeks ago. This one's fairly fresh. Okay? Um, six weeks ago, I reverted back to my junior high days. And um, I started acting like a junior higher. And in my relationship with my wife. Okay, so um, this is embarrassing, but it's true. Um, so we, we were kind of in a difficult spot, and, and I overreacted to something little, honestly. It was a, the, the, my, my reaction to what took place was so unequal, it's not even funny. But I won't, I won't get into what happened. I'll just get into how I responded. So I got to this point where I was like for several days going, you know what? I'm not going to say goodnight to her. I always say goodnight. I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not gonna say I love you first. I always say it first. I'm not gonna say. I'm just gonna let her. I'm just gonna walk by her. I'm not gonna say anything. I'm just gonna. I literally for days played that game. For days, um, and and to my shame, I was playing that game up until I went to the fall retreat. Didn't wasn't thinking about like the relationship talk that was about to come my way, and. Um, so you guys don't know this, but Randy, Randy Garris, who came and spoke, if you haven't listened to the, our relationship series, three parts, incredible stuff, okay? You need to listen to it. It's on our podcast. You can, you can get it. But anyway, Randy sits down with Drew and I at dinner before he's going to speak on his very his first night, his first topic. So he goes, it like str- just went right for me. He said, so I'm getting ready to talk to your students about marriage, so what's going on with your guys' marriage? What's going on with you? I was not ready for that. I w- you know what I was ready for? Hanging out with people. I would didn't want to didn't want to think about marriage because I was sucking at marriage. I just wanted to I just wanted to hang I just wanted to be a college minister at that point. He said, "Nope, you're a husband." So, tell me about what's going on and, and I started to t- I started it didn't take him 5 minutes. I started to talk a little bit about some of our struggles and some what we were going through and what I was thinking. He's like, "Nah, that's not that's not your problem." What? You know, so he he cut the legs out of me from before we even got to the first session. And I was a mess that weekend. I, some of you might not have been able to tell, but I was a mess. But anyway, here's the thing. If you were to ask me, should you be rude and cold to your wife? Guess what? I'd pass that test every time. I will write no. But did I? Well, yeah, I did. Why? Because my heart was hardened, honestly. 
I was being selfish. I know the answer. I knew the answer. I've, I've done four weddings this summer. You know what I say at every wedding? Every wedding I say the same thing. That there's two, weddings is about two, two covenants. Um, a covenant with God and then a covenant with each other. And the covenant with God is first because your first move toward the other has to be to Him. I'm going to love her the way He wants me to. I'm going to love Him the way He wants me to. So I'm accountable to Him first and then to each other. So I talk about the vows and blah, blah, blah. The vow to God is the most important. I said that over and over and over and over and over. I said it on September 1st, okay, and, which was Saturday. And guess when we left for our retreat? Sunday. That was my fourth wedding, the day before we left for the retreat. So anyway, this is all background. I know the right answers. The, the, the problem is I didn't, I didn't have the heart. But I'll tell you what I did have. I did have this. And so let me explain. I have a life group. I meet with six couples every week. And the six guys, we've gotten really close. We've been through a lot of junk over the last two and a half, three years. There's been a lot of junk happening in our, in our, in our, in our families. And the guys have gotten really close. We've went to Mexico together last year for a week. Um, we, we've shared, we've cried, we've laughed, we've done, well, I haven't cried because I don't cry because I have issues. But anyway, <laughs> they've cried. I try to cry and I can't. But anyways, that's a whole other problem. Um, my alarm's going off. Shoot. So, um, but we've gotten really close. And so I've, I've, you know, when I'm going through junk, I got to tell them because I asked them to do the same thing. So I, told, I, 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 had to, I had to tell them about what's going on with me. Um, I, also, I also have uh, Drew. So I told Drew. Drew knew before we got to the retreat that Ryan and I weren't doing too great. I wasn't doing too great. Um, I also met with our, we have a counselor on staff. Her name's Sharon. And I went to her one day and I said, um, clear your schedule because we need to meet. She goes, Okay. I said, yeah, and I'm going to sit here until you're ready. She goes, uh, I got somebody kind of said, that's fine, I'll, I'll just be right here for an hour. I'll be right here. And I did. I met with her. I shared stuff that going on in my head that I needed to talk to her about. Um, I also have a habit of getting up every morning. So here's, here's, my, here's what's crazy is, I, 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 yeah, all of us, I guess, <laughs> I just realized. That's a really good habit, by the way, to get up in the morning. So, but no, I, I, get up, I get up early with a cup of coffee and spend time in the Word. And then I, lately I've been journaling what's going on in my head. So I, at the same time I'm going, oh yeah, I'm not going to say goodnight to her. I'm not going to say I love you first. I always do that. So I'm going to wait. And then the other side of my brain is going, yeah, guess what? You're going to get up in the morning. You're going to have to talk to God about that because that's what you do. You get up and you spend time with Him. So I had these habits in my life that didn't allow me to get off. Because if you don't have these habits in your life, here's what happens. You might, today, you you take one degree to the wrong direction. One degree is not bad in one day. Give it, um, or sorry, one feet, ten feet, one degree is not bad. Give it 20 miles. Give it 100 miles. Guess how far one degree off is. So if you don't have these habits in your life, of, of spending time with God, thinking rightly about Him, about yourself, and understanding who you are, and spending time in community, then, then you're just you're asking for uh, a major challenge to come in your life. So, 
here's what I want to say, and as I'm going to invite the band up here, because we're going to spend the last several uh, moments in worship. But here's what's cool, okay? Again, I don't, I'm not a big fan of formulas, but I think this is a pretty good one. And it's proven to be helpful in my life. Um, come on up. It's okay. Come on up. Um, and you guys want this down, right? Okay. This, this, uh, this formula has been helpful. But God doesn't just leave you alone with your formula, okay, for life. Because notice in the, in the story, and I wrote these things down because I wanted to make sure I said them right. Notice what happens in, with Cain, okay? And actually chapters 3 and 4, notice what God does. He is present. He pursues them. He deals with their sin. Because he's not just going to be like sweeping under the rug. Oh, it's not a big deal. No, it hurts people. In fact, it kills people. So he deals with it. But then he's gracious. And he's giving. Right? And so this is the God that um, did this in Jesus. This is, this is what we have in, in Jesus. The same is true in Jesus. He's present with us. He pursues us. He deals with our sin in Jesus. He's gracious and He's giving. And so this is the God that we get to sing to. This is the God that we get to worship. So let me pray and we'll jump in. God, thank You for Your grace and not allowing me to stay in my hard heart for too long. And Lord, You know I wanted to. You know I wanted to. But You didn't allow me And you surrounded me with people that I could talk to. You surrounded me with a community that is going to lovingly point me back to you. And God, you've established, by your grace, you know how terrible I was at spending time with you years and years ago. And by your grace, God, you have allowed me to have and to develop a habit and a longing to be with you. And that's you. So God, I pray that you would allow us to, um, to worship you well tonight. That we could let go of the things that we're going through and just focus on you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.